Bom dia. E a paz de Cristo esteja nos vossos corações. Sounds familiar, não? It's Portuguese. It's Portuguese. I'm going to preach in English, though. Just exceptionally. And I'm, I'm really, really glad to be here. Uh, I have been here now for the previous two services, and I've listened to these young people who've been out ministering, and it's been an inspiration. And they are the best illustration uh, of the things that I would like to share with you at this service. And what I'd like to share with you uh, this morning has to do with our identity. Uh, our identity is, um, is the business of many people. There are many people working hard, professionally, using the best of their ability, their scientific knowledge and technology to shape our identity. We are receiving, uh, we live in the information age. We are that generation of human beings who is being showered constantly with information to make us act in a certain way, to make us do certain things. We get a huge amount of influence. Whether we recognize it or not, it's coming. And it's attempting at one thing, to shape our hearts and minds. And of course, Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, wants to shape our minds and hearts too. So there's a battle there. We've heard about the battle for the hearts, and it's, um, it's a very bloody battle. And many people fall. And uh, this is happening uh, not just in the world, but it's happening in the hearts of every single human being. So the church is vulnerable to this kind of uh, situation. We are not immune to the enormous amount of influence that is uh, happening around us and inside us. And so, this morning I'd like to call our attention to two texts, one in the, the Old Testament and one in the New Testament, and they are both talking about our identity. And if we get our identity clear, we get a better chance of not just saying live well, live well, but inviting others to live well as well. So, Exodus 19 is the first of these texts. Um, it's, um, and uh, you, you may open and follow through and probably you'll read it home because it's quite long and I'm not going to read it all here. But let me just give you, uh, rema- remind you of the, the, the context where these things is, uh, where what's happening at Exodus 19. So you, we know about the people of God at one point going to Egypt to, to seek for food Uh, Joseph was prime minister, and he was able to welcome his people and uh, to provide them with places um, that they could live in. So 400 years later, the the, the people of God is still living in Egypt. And by now, their life had become miserable. They were enslaved to the Egyptians. They had to to work longer hours uh, with less support having to do just about everything from scratch, the, the life was becoming unbearable. On top of that, the Egyptians were afraid of their influence and of their growing in numbers, so they killed their boys, their young boys. It was really a very difficult situation. None of us would like to live in such a situation. And so they, being the people of God, they were claiming God to come and deliver them from slavery and from what was happening to them. And so they prayed and prayed. And then God heard their prayers and sent Moses their way to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians. However, even though they had been praying, they were not expecting God to respond. And so when Moses came, they resisted him. They didn't want to go with him. 
And even though God was performing miracles, powerful acts through Moses, the people of God were still resisting. They were still complaining. They were still not responding to the, to the freedom that God was bringing them to. So we, we, we try to understand what's going on. They are the people of God. They pray. They got answers. And they, they don't recognize God's action any longer. What has happened here? What has happened is that through 400 years, the influence and the mindset of Egypt had got into the hearts of the people of God. They still believed God. But now Jehovah, their God, was probably more like the gods of the Egyptians. And the Egyptians had many gods. And none of them were re was really powerful. None of them really made a difference. Like they had this crocodile. They worshipped the crocodile. Like they worshipped a number of other things. And a crocodile can be quite impressive. Especially the big ones in the Nile River. But <laughs> humans can kill crocodiles. They can make shoes out of crocodiles. And so it's not the kind of God where... you know It's convenient to have some God where you can worship and perform your religious needs. But in the end, you control that God. You do whatever you want with it. The same with the, the beetle. They, some of them worship the beetle. Now, the beetle, you can do whatever you want with a beetle. You manipulate that kind of God. You can even just crush the beetle under your foot. So here they are praying to God, but their representation of God had become a lot like the Egyptians. And so they were not expecting the crocodile or the beetle to come to rescue them. They didn't expect God to come to rescue them. And so they were resisting. They always found Pharaoh to be a lot more powerful than God. They were more afraid of Pharaoh than they were afraid of God. And, um, well, they witnessed firsthand God's power for a number of days and weeks. You remember God was performing this uh, plague um, acts, uh, the kind of stuff that when we read about, we say, I would never forget that if I lived through it. That was quite impressive. Yet didn't impress them as much. They thought, well, magicians can do the same thing. And so then they went through the Red Sea. And you'd think, if I, if I was there, walking through the sea on dry ground, and then seeing the Egyptians getting killed by the waters, I'd never forget that. Yet, when they get to the other side, they want to come back. They say, well, now we have no food, now we have no water. And why did you bring us out of the Egypt? They never believe that God is able. And yet, God is providing them with manna out of nowhere, every day, just the necessary amount. And God is bringing water out of rocks for them to live on. We're talking about, perhaps, some people say, 1,600,000 people plus their cattle living in the desert. No sources of food, no sources of water, under a scorching sun, and they were still living. So three months onwards, here they are coming to the base of the Sinai mountain, and God is going to give them a glimpse of his power and of his glory. He's not going to show his face, because we cannot see God's face. After all, God is the creator of the universe. We only have access to a tiny little portion of the universe with our science, with our technology. 
We only know of a little part of what exists. And we know enough to know that it's enormous, almost an, end, an endless kind of reality. God created the whole thing. How can you see God's face? Yet God is going to provide them with certain experience of his power through the cloud, through the, through, the, through the lightning. And so they are going to be exposed to a little bit so that at least they know they are, this is not the gods of the Egyptians. And so before God does that, he asks them, well, do you want to be my people? If you read the, the verse uh, 4, 19, uh, Exodus 19.4, it says, you, you have seen, you have witnessed firsthand what I did unto the Egyptians. You, you saw it all. And how I bear you on eagle's wings and brought you unto myself. You've seen that. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice, indeed, and keep my covenant, then you shall be mine own possession from among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel, tells God to Moses to tell his people. Now God is telling them, you are slaves. You are about nothing. But now I'm calling you to be God's people, a kingdom of priests. You have the higher calling any human being can have. I'm inviting you to be part of the work that I'm doing in the history of humankind. God, the Almighty, the creator and sustainer of the whole universe, is calling these former slaves to be his ambassadors for the work that he wants to do on earth. He wants every single person on earth, created in his image and likeness, to come and be part of, to be a fellowship with him. And how is he going to do that? He's calling a people to act as his priests. What do priests do, by the way? If we look at the Old Testament, the priest was the, you know, they were separated. They had a special task, holy task. And what they did was they were bringing the needs of the people, their sin, the consequences of their sin to the altar and ask God to forgive them and to provide them what the, the kind of relief that they needed. They, they, they talked about, uh, God, these guys, have, have, we have lived in rebellion. We have done our own thing. We followed our own agenda. Because of that, we have war. We have illnesses. We have famine. Please deliver us. And here goes the priest. Takes all of that to the altar and says, God, your people is claiming for forgiveness. They need your forgiveness. They need your love, your peace. They need your providence. Please, please listen to their prayers. And God says, yes, they are forgiven. Go and tell them that they can go. I'll be with them. And here they go again and tell the people, God has said, you are forgiven. You can go home. He's going to deliver you. He's going to help you. That's the work of the priest. And God is calling a people to be his priests to the nations. Not just to set them apart so that they are his little playground. No, these guys have a tremendous, beautiful, important task to perform on earth. Okay? And so, after they say, yes, that's what we want to do, God says, well, I'm, I'm going to show up for a while, so I'm going to give you a glimpse of the kind of God you're dealing with. 
So please prepare yourselves. For three days, don't do this and that and that and just cleanse. Get ready. Because you, you cannot approach God like, you know, we're just friends and I talk with God, I have coffee with God at Starbucks and it's all, you know, good friends. No, God is the creator. He is holy. He is the almighty. We approach him with awe, with respect and with fear. Fear, the fear of the Lord is realizing how big he is, how small we are. It's just giving us reality. It's not something to crush us. It's something to actually lift us up. And so he's going to give them a glimpse of that. And I mean, if you read through the passage, you will see that they would never forget what happened. And I can imagine the three days leading up to God showing to them, amongst them, that they were just in a lot of anxiety, getting prepared. They are going to meet their God. And it's going to be something fabulous. They are warned not to touch the ends of the mountain because they could die with God's power. But there they go. And after three days, they have this important um, showing of God. And then what happens next? God is going to give them the Ten Commandments. It's the, you know, Exodus 20. God is saying, because you are my people, because you are a priesthood, you are a holy nation, you're no longer to live by the values of Egypt. You have a new agenda. You have a new identity. You're no longer slaves now. You're royalty. Because you're connected with the king and you're going to promote his agenda. You are ambassadors. And so he's changing, giving them a new agenda and a new values to live by, new ambitions. Well, you say, uh, that, that's what we see in the Old Testament. Is, is that uh, good for us as well? Now, if you, if you go quickly with me to First Peter uh, chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, guess what? We have the same words. These are the words that we have heard in Exodus 19. And Peter, the Apostle Peter, is bringing them back now to us. Okay, we now the Gentiles... We, 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 are, we are God's people in this generation. And again, we don't have Egypt, but we have the Roman Empire. It's almighty. We don't have Pharaoh, you have the emperor, which is to be worshipped as well. It is a, a very powerful machine, the Roman Empire. It pretty much conquered and controlled the whole known world of, that, of those days. And if you, if you were going to be prosperous, if you're going to be all right with your life, you had to abide by the rules of the Roman Empire or you would be completely wiped out of the earth. So you needed to worship the emperor. You needed to follow their agenda. You'd be considered a citizen. You'd have your rights. You could prosper. And here is Peter saying to the believers throughout the empire, no, he says, but you, but... You know, you instead, you are an elect race. It's, it's a lot more than being uh, Roman citizens. You are an elect race, or as another uh, translation says it, you are a chosen generation. See, elect, chosen, on purpose, intentionally. It was not just out of, you know, nothing. God voted for us. He put his mark on our bulletin there. 
Uh, he said, you are elect race. You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. There's the emperor and there is the, the king, Jesus. And you are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a nation separated. That's what holy means. You're separated. You're separated. You are a people for God's own possession. You know? You are a peculiar people. You are a people separated. You have been purchased. You've been purchased. You're now God's own possession. For what? Why are you called? Why, are, why, why is God shaping a people out of the Roman Empire and for the rest of history? That we may show forth the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Who in time past were no people, but now you are the people of God. Who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. You see, our identity has one before and one after. We were not, now we are. We had not, now we have. There's a line in between. We, we're not just like everyone else. If we follow Jesus, there's a before and after. And we cannot just carry on business as usual. One of the things that really disturbs me is to see so many of my friends who have become believers when I was a believer too, you know, in our early teens, coming. I see them now, 30 years down, down the road. They are still going to church. They tithe. They... They are faithful people to the institution, and, and I think their heart still wants to be part of God. But all of their lives is pretty much decided on their own terms. They have decided what to do with their lives. They have chosen their path, their career. They have decided what to do with their investments. And most times they didn't ask God anything about it. They just did what they thought was best. And that's not being part of the people of God. We were purchased which means that we are no longer ours. When I was 18 years old, I came to the U.S. as an exchange student. And I was Marxist. I was a practicing follower of Karl Marx. And in God's providence, I was placed in an American family. I lived with them for a whole year. And they were believers. They were part of God's people. And they lived at home the kind of things they were listening from the Bible. I remember waking up every morning early to go to school, to high school, and I'd see my mother, my host mother, sitting in her study reading the Bible. And it wasn't just an exercise of knowledge, because I saw how that reading the Bible was shaping the family, what, how they decided to spend their vacations, how the kind of friends that they made and the reasons they made these friendships, how they used their investments and everything else. It was shaped by their loyalty, their following Jesus. And I looked at them and I said, if this is what Jesus does to people, then Karl Marx is close to nothing. My ideal of being a young Marxist was to change the world, to have a better world, a fairer world. Karl Marx talked about the new man. We cannot have a better world without a new man, so we are going to create a new man. And I was looking after that, and then I saw what Jesus did in the world. Jesus is actually doing what he said. He's creating a new man, actually not just an ideal. And I said, I'm no longer going to follow Karl Marx. I'm no longer a Marxist. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm a Jesist or Jesuit or whatever you want. 
Okay? So this is what it means to be a Christian, is to follow Christ. Is to actually shift all of our loyalties to him. Is to live a new life with his agenda and not mine. I was purchased through his blood. I'm no longer mine. My time, my money, my family, everything in my life is not mine any longer. And it gets liberating. And that takes me much further than I would ever go taking care of things on my own. God has grown me up by liberating me from being a slave to my own agenda. And that's what Christianity is all about. We see this world being shaped. The minds and hearts of people in this world are being shaped to follow mammon. And Jesus said, in the end, it comes down to choosing either to go with mammon or with God. And every time we let the influence of the world creep in, we start following mammon. In the end, we believe that the God money, money, God, God money, we believe that they will save us. If we just have enough money in the bank, if we have the right insurance, if we uh, find the right state, the better politicians, if we just get it all right there and we are secured for our old days, we'll be all right. And this morning I was reminded of, of the Twin Towers in New York. World Trade Center. I was there many years ago, like probably many of you too. I was there on the last floor. And I remember coming to the glass windows and shaking because of vertigo. And, you know, I tried to go and, and look down, and, 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 and it's an irrational thing. And I was saying, just calm down. This is a solid place. This has been built by the best architects and engineers. You're safe here. And in a few seconds, I watched it on television like everyone else. It all came down. And we live in this kind of illusion where we've just got everything sorted out to keep us safe. And in one moment, it can all go. Because nobody, no government, no government controls the world any longer. Whoever is controlling the world has no face. Has, no, has not been elected. We can't address it. There are powers of all kinds, human and, in, and, and not human, controlling the whole thing. And our world is that vulnerable like it was never before. We live in this small global village. If something happens in Japan, our economy here is hitted immediately. In one, two days, the stock exchange could change the whole thing. We know that. It's happening all around the world. We can no longer stop that kind of stuff. We are an interdependent human race now in a lev level that no generation experienced before. So where are we? Are we tending our own business? Or are we being the people of God, the chosen generation, the royal priesthood? Because that's all it matters. There is fear, there is anxiety. Where are the people of God to give the right perspective. It's not ours. It's God's perspective to people. Are we giving it out of words? Out of our own example? People, we, we are the first visible pages of the gospel to most of our neighbors. They start reading the God, God's word in our lives. So it's about our identity. 
In the end, we're coming back to that. It's about our identity. How much of who we are, how much of our plans, our ambitions, our aspirations have been shaped by our society? The powerful machine out there is frightening. We have now the scientific knowledge and the technology to pretty much manipulate people's minds and hearts and shape them. I know that. We have four kids. And uh, for a number of years, every dinner, after we finish eating, even before we remove the dishes off the table, we bring the Bible and we read with them. We have been intentionally listening to God's word together. I have tried to pass on to my kids the identity that I am being shaped with in Jesus Christ. And you know what? My kids are great kids. They are listening. They are touched by God's word. And yet, they receive a whole lot more influence from school, from television, from the internet. And I sense at the table every evening the huge fight between God's word and the influence of the world. And often it is very subtle. It's into the small things. You know, the devil is not... Uh, is, uh, is quite smart. He never tells us a complete lie. He's never going to give us a bad picture. It's in the little things that he manages to creep in into our minds and heads. And we are not immune. The people of God is not immune. We saw what happened with the people of God in Egypt. They no longer believed God. We know what happened with the people of God through the Roman Empire. Many fell prey of the Roman Empire's ways. And that's happening. I mean, the Roman Empire and Egypt, they are kids' play compared to our age, the information age. And so we are vulnerable. And so we seek to refresh, to renew, to cultivate our new identity in Christ. You know, it's the first thing is that we need to be clear who we are and how we live out our lives in our school, in our job, in our neighborhood. That needs to be number one. But, as they say, the best defense is the attack. And so it's not just that we are protecting ourselves. It's also that we are reaching out, penetrating the darkness with the light of God. And so being in mission is not an option for the people of God. People of God are mission. Is mission. That's our identity. You see, we were created for being intimate with God. And we will not be fully complete until we are in this community with God. What keeps us from being in full fellowship with God is our rebellion, is our sin. Now, in my case, and I hope it's in case of most of you, Jesus has dealt with it. I, know, I have no longer any accounts before God. They have been paid by Jesus' blood. So there's nothing that keeps me from being intimate with the Lord and being fully with Him. The day I gave my life to Jesus, it was January 30th, 1980, in Orlando, Florida. Why didn't I go straight into heaven in that moment? There was nothing to keep me any longer from God? Why am I not there living fully the best that I can live with my life? For one single reason. Because God wants me to bring others to that fellowship too. 
The reason we are still here is for that purpose. We are being shaped. We are being ambassadors. We are making a bridge between the peoples around us and God. There's no other reason to be around. We do go attend our jobs and we do make things and we create and we solve problems and our life is valuable. There's, I'm not saying that uh, our profession and our studies are not valuable. They are highly valuable. But the whole thing has one purpose in the end or not. And that purpose is, are we God's people? Are we God's priesthood? Are you bringing your neighbors and your friends and your family to God regularly in prayer? Are you aware that you are giving them an entrance door to, the, to, to, to heaven or, or to eternal life or to eternal damnation? Yeah, that's what we're here for. And you know, when we leave that out, we go further than we would ever go with anything else in our lives. I'm concluding, and I'd like to say that there are good news. The good news is that even in a time like that, when we are uh, so insecure with the state of affairs in the world, when everything could crumble around us immediately, when we cannot secure anything by ourselves, um, God has not forgotten humankind. He knows the dangers and he knows what's going on. And he has been providing. Even while we were a little bit asleep, even while we were not paying full attention, God was still doing his work. And there has never, never, never been in the history of humankind such a, a logistical operation of this magnitude. The church of Christ, the, the God's people, is working even as we speak now around the world. Millions of people looking after single moms, looking after drug addicts, looking after elderly that have been abandoned, working in hospitals, working in jungles, working in, in, in the inner city, working in the neighborhoods. There is preaching going on. There are schools taking place. There's the media producing all kinds of content to send out the word of God. There has never been so much preaching of God's word than in our generation. Never. And to give you an example, very quickly, you were part of a family of churches, the Grace Brethren, who started sending out missionaries to the world 112 years ago. And you know what God did with that? Today, 90% of Grace Brethren churches are outside the U.S. 95% of Grace Brethren believers don't speak English. And that was how God responded to this small group of churches sending out their best people, praying for them, making sure they had bread on their tables, that their kids had an education. You, you had been faithfully giving your people, your money, your prayers, and God responded in a way that you could not have imagined before. So, there's good news. This is being carried out right now. Are we part of it or not? Are we wasting our lives or are we being the people of God? And so, my, my last words this morning for you is that you keep on deepening your new identity in Christ, lest you be gone with the wash like many believers are going out with the wash. Just the tsunami, the information tsunami, and the influence is taking many people away forever. So we are careful. We are vigilant. And we develop, we go further, reading the word of God and working with the church so that our new identity in Christ is fully developed. And then we keep on taking that out to other people. And so um, keep on praying for your missionaries. You've, you, you've shown this morning on, on, on this platform uh, what God is doing. I mean, this is great. 
these kids that I saw here, I can't say they are kids because um, I'm not old enough to say that, but uh, they, are, they are young adults, and um, I was impressed not just with what they did, but how they articulated and how they understood it. This is prime quality material here, coming out of your community. So God is at work. Continue to be faithful. Get yourselves involved in it more and more. And uh, on the second week of November, this group of churches has a special thing we call the Day of Generosity. I'd like to challenge you to celebrate that day in this community. Make it a party, a fiesta. Make it a fiesta. Because God is doing it. He's inviting us to be part of it. And I don't think there's anything better than that. And this is what I live with you. May we worship God together and let him, Christ, be formed in us more and more. God bless you.